Well, thank you very much. That was a little intimidating. Uh, I want to just add one thing to one of the announcements in regards to refuel. Don't just come if you're ones that are struggling and hurting. You all need to be there. There is power when we come together corporately in community, expecting and anticipating God to do something. You know, we have these services down at our church. We don't do it every month. We do it every couple months. And one of the, one of the things that still troubles me a little bit is the fact that we may have, you know, we're a small town of 633 people, so. But we'll have 200 people show up, and they'll drive. Well, we had some people here in South Dakota, Mapleton, Minnesota. They're driving, you know, 100, 140 miles to come. And uh, out of that 200 people, probably 50, 60 of them are from our church. I can't quite understand that. I can't imagine what God would do if our people would really all show up. Um, not that there's any, well, there is. There's something magical in a spiritual sense when the body of Christ truly comes together with one mind, one accord. Um, power of all, if you would. A couple of things uh, I wanted to mention. Some of you, most of you probably have no idea. Ballatin is in southwest Minnesota, tiny little town, as I just said, about 160, 70 miles from here. And you may not realize this at all, but uh, about 26 or 7 years ago, we were without a pastor. We'd only been a church for about seven, eight, nine years, something like that. We were totally independent. We were not connected with anybody. And we had a pastor leave. So we were without a pastor for two years. And I was on the elder board at that time. And as the elders, we decided, you know, Pastor Ken was, we had a Pastor Ken, by the way. Pastor Ken was a great guy, but he seemed to be just a little bit controlling, you know, a little bit maybe manipulative. And we just thought we needed more power as a board to keep him in check, the next guy. That was a mistake. We started looking in the scriptures, starting to study, and all of a sudden we discovered, boy, were we going in the wrong direction. So we didn't know what to do. And we started seeing some of this New Testament type of, min of church, and we didn't know where to go, what to do. Um, came across Pastor Bernie Wing and Marshall, about 16, 17 miles from us. And, and with his wisdom, he said, <clears throat> I got a couple guys you need to talk to. And they happened to be Jim McCracken and Chuck Porta. And they came from this church. And the vision of this church was to come out and help churches like us who were kind of floundering in a sense. And we needed a lot of help, a lot of direction. And uh, I shared this at a meeting up here and I got emotional and started crying, so forgive me in advance. But you guys sewed into our church. This church here sewed into our church about 26, 27 years ago. And any of fruit from our church, part of that's because of you guys, this church. Uh, Jim and Mary and, and Chuck and Kitty pouring into us all those years. And Jim's been a mentor of mine for a long, long time now. And I just wanted to thank this church for the vision you had so many, many years ago. And just want to encourage you to, uh, you know, give thanks for what the people that have come before us have done. It's amazing. So thank you with that. Um, my wife Cindy is here with me. Um, we have, yes. She's the anointed one in our family. So she should, she's a kindergarten teacher, has been for many, many years. Uh, and she's a vital part of our ministry at the church in so many ways. And uh, she is a prayer warrior that her husband desperately needs. So it's been a real blessing. We have three kids. Um, I hesitate to say this. They live in Lakeville. 
This is Eden Prairie, right? right? I, we watched the game with them last, whatever night that was. Friday. Who won? No. I told you I didn't have an anointing. She's got it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we... As I share with you, I believe you've laid on my heart this morning, God, I pray that your heart is revealed through my heart. God, I thank you that we serve a God who is filled with compassion and mercy and love. God, that we see throughout your word that Jesus was continually moved by compassion. Father, and I thank you. I thank you for your Holy Spirit, our teacher, and I thank you for the word that you've given us, Father, that, that brings life. And I pray, Father, this morning that... Um, anything that I say that is contrary to what you would want, God, I pray it just falls to the ground and does no harm whatsoever. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start by telling you a little bit of a story about a child and his father. They were driving home from church. And the father, trying to make conversation with his son, just simply said, hey, you know, what, what did you learn in Sunday school this morning? What did they teach you from the Bible today? And the little boy says, well, we were talking about Moses and the Red Sea and how all of Moses was leading all these people out of this bondage that they'd been in and, and they came to the Red Sea and they were trapped and the Egyptians were coming. And, and he says, well, what, they, what happened? And, and the little boy says, well, when they got to the Red Sea and they knew they were coming, they started to build this great big bridge out of pontoons. And when they put the whole bridge together and it went all the way across the Red Sea, they all jumped in carts and jeeps and trucks and they rode across the Red Sea. And the father's starting to look at his son. And uh, then what happened? Well, when they all got off the bridge and the Egyptians got on the bridge, they took dynamite and blew it up and they all drowned. And by this time, dad looks over at his son and says, is that really what they taught you in Sunday school this morning? And the little boy says, well, no, Dad, but if I told you what really happened according to the Bible, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> Sadly, there are a lot of things in the Bible that we have a hard time believing because it seems too amazing and too astounding and too crazy. And sometimes that even impacts the way that, that we understand and read it and then apply to apply it in our life because we don't really quite believe that it could happen that way. And extraordinarily sad is sometimes it impacts the way the Word of God is taught because of it's, nobody's going to believe it. Or our bias is developed because what we did read seemed to be really clear but when I applied it in my life, it didn't work very good. So obviously, I must have misunderstood. And as a pastor, we have the same temptation sometimes. Boy, it doesn't always go like we think it's supposed to go. And then we're reminded that God doesn't live according to our calendar. And we don't have his mind fully at this time. And when it comes to healing... I believe this is one of the major problems that we have so much as believers and as churches. And it's not that we need to get our eyes on one thing from the Word of God, but, you know, healing is part of the Great Commission, right? Obviously, it's important. 
Jesus said, when, I'm, when he walked on the earth, he said, I do what the Father wants me to do. I only speak what the Father wants me to speak. He was revealing the Father to us through a human body. And one of the things he demonstrated over and over and over and over again was healing and deliverance. It's an important part of what we're called to be doing. But because it doesn't always work the way we think it should work, or especially it doesn't work when we think it should work, um, we've kind of lost it and we be, almost become a little bit fearful or intimidated because it doesn't happen like we think it should. So what do we do with that? Well, that's where we were a number of years ago and, and we decided, you know what, we're just going to press into what we know. And one of the, the real changing moments for our church actually took place about, about three years ago. A couple from Iowa, uh, Jim and Lori Huting, Drove up from Iowa. They'd heard about our services. I don't even remember who invited them for sure. I think they got an invitation. And they drove up, and Lori had an incurable disease. It was called small fiber neurology. Neuro Help me, somebody. Neuropathy. There's the word. Small fiber neuropathy. And by the time she came to our service, and her, her religious background, they came from down in Iowa. It's uh, Dutch Reformed. They were a little bit conservative. And uh, our the <laughs> yeah, some of you know them, huh? Our, our theology didn't quite fit when it came to healing. And what's interesting, they went to their pastor to tell him what they were going to do. And the pastor had a real pastor's heart. And he said, you know, I understand. And I don't blame you, but... And his heart was, he didn't want them to go and become disappointed. He didn't want them to, to be disappointed and let down because it was already bad. The, the doctors, the specialists had just told her that they had seen her progress in six months, what normally they saw take place over a period of 10 years with this disease. She came to the church, she was walking, she called them walking sticks. They're kind of those crutches, you know, that had a, they come around the arm and you walk and balance her. And she did that because she lost almost all the feeling in her feet Started there, feeling the, the feeling was disappearing, the tingling. It had moved to her hands, and it started. It had moved to her face, and she was starting to have nervous twitches, and, and it was it was progressing. And they told her to prepare to be uh, homebound, not being able to work. Her life was going to change dramatically, and they had no idea what to do next. And she'd went to doctors locally. They sent her to a neurologist down in Sioux City, Iowa, and he sent her to a neuromuscular specialist down in Omaha, Nebraska. So she'd had it all checked out. She had all the tests, and it was all hopeless. Well, she came forward for prayer, and one of our, this is one thing you'll discover if you talk to me about this much, is our, our, our healing is, we're teaching everybody that you're all supposed to do this. So our healing teams are uh, youth, so the older people, some people say, who can I have come from your church to speak about healing? Who's got the gift of healing? I'm sorry, we haven't got anybody for you. We don't have an individual that, that God uses more than others, even though there's some that are probably operating a little more faith than others. But one of our elders and a couple other young people, both were, they were praying for this lady. And they prayed first for the, God to heal this nervous condition. And this is her testimony. She says, as I was standing there and they were praying for God to heal that, I thought I could begin to feel my feet. But she said, I didn't want it to be some kind of, you know, psychosomatic type thing or whatever, so I didn't say anything. 
And they asked her, how are you feeling? And she finally said, well, I think I might feel tingling or something in my feet. She said, well, good, we're going to pray again. And this time they prayed again for the Lord to give her the faith to believe for her healing. And again, I'm not one that thinks God needs your faith or my faith to heal anybody. Because we see examples in the scripture where the people got healed. You know, remember the guy sitting by the temple asking, uh, Peter comes and he says, hey, are you expecting coins given to him, right? And he just reached down and he gets healed. He didn't even know it was coming. But then all of a sudden she started to do this. She could feel her fingers. And now the prayer team's getting a little excited, and her husband starts just crying. And she drops both of her walking sticks, her crutches, and one of the guys says, well, try to take a few steps. And she starts walking across the front of the church. And they came back, and they how are you doing? I said, it feels better. Good, we're going to pray a third time. We have so little faith, we'll pray three times sometimes. She was completely healed, totally healed. And what was, yes, amen, praise God. And what was really, really, really cool about this, talking to her afterwards, she had an appointment with the neuromuscular specialist in Omaha, Nebraska, the next week. And she says, I guess I don't need to go to that. And we said, oh, yes, you do. She says, go down there and document what the Lord has done. So she went down there, and they put her through a three-hour battery of neuromuscular testing. And as she was waiting for the doctor, the specialist, to come with the results, he finally comes in and he says, you know, Lori, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. We might have to do this over. There's probably something wrong with our equipment. <laughs> she says, why is that? And she says, because we can't find anything. Anything. And she says, I can tell you what happened. And she goes, miracle, miracle, miracle. And she's been completely healed. And an interesting thing that took place, and I just throw this out for you to process. She came back. They, they come just about every service now bringing people. And uh, they let her speak in her Dutch Reformed Church. And a number of other Dutch Reformed churches have invited her in to speak. She worked in a bank as a teller, so she had a very public job in the community. So everybody sees Lori. So she came back, and she came forward for prayer. And I happened to be the one that I got to, I got to pray with at that time. And I, so I asked her, what's going on? And she says, well... I don't want to not have faith, but I'm feeling some of the symptoms. And it had probably been about six months. I said, okay, let's pray. So we just prayed. And she just said, thank you. And her and her husband went back and sat down. And it was probably, I don't know, 15 minutes later, I wasn't praying with anybody. And I felt like the Lord said, that's demonic. I said, really? Dutch Reformed, now demonic. All right. So I walked back to where they were sitting, and I just said, you know, the Lord showed me something that I'd like to pray with you again if you'll come forward. They said, sure. They came forward, and then I explained to them. I said, I don't know where you're at on this demonic thing, but I believe the Lord told me that this is a demon trying to bring back fake, phony symptoms to steal your faith and steal your healing. She says, yeah, we're good with that. Pray. So we prayed commanded the spirits to leave as we felt led to pray and they were gone and now it's been two and a half years and she's got no symptoms hasn't had them since so you know God does amazing things so what I want to share is a little bit from the word and I understand that you guys have been been taught about healing you believe healings in the atonement like we do like I do and uh, so it's like okay what should I share 
Well, if you're like our church, and if you're like me, you need things to be repeated often. And sometimes we just need to be reminded and encouraged about what the Word of God really says. And so I'm going to just share, and I probably won't go into as much depth in some areas as I could or should, but my question is, what should we believe? What should we believe? And I, I stand here, I, you know, I, I grew up on a farm. Uh, when I got called in the ministry, I was a sales manager for a livestock feed company. That was my seminary. So, the Word of God is it's my safety net. It's everything. You know, if, if, if I, I don't want to teach anything contrary to the Word. So I said, what, what am I supposed to believe? I'm going to look to the Word. And I want to share with you some things from the Word. I want to start with a, a scripture in Proverbs 4 to encourage us about the Word. In Proverbs 4, verses 20 to 22, it says, My child, pay attention to my words. Listen attentively to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Guard them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to one's entire body. The Word of God is healing. It's a powerful living Word. We all know that, but we sometimes forget and act like we don't know that. So, to that purpose, I'm going to go through a few things in Scripture that hopefully is review. One, the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, perfect. Everything was perfect. Their walk with the Lord, unbelievable. What we can only imagine experiencing in the future. No sin, no nothing, everything, no sickness, no disease, everything was awesome. And there was only one law which they chose to break. And I sometimes think of that. Here's man formed out of dust, life breathed into him by God, and that, that formed pile of dust decides to rebel against their creator. And I remember, oh yeah, that's one of us. That's one of us. And when they sinned, everything be changed. First, they got kicked out of the garden, of course. And the curse, sickness, disease, spiritual and physical death. Spiritual immediately, physical came a little bit later. Death was to come. It came into the world all as part of this curse. And in the days of Moses, the law was given. And the law was laid out, and it was laid out to prove a point that nobody can keep it. But in the law, there was a curse of the law. And, you know, sometimes when I want to be reminded again where Christ has taken us from, I'll go back and look at some of those chapters in Deuteronomy. One of Deuteronomy 28, and it lays out the, the curse, some of the curse, some of the impact, some of the effects of the curse. And it, it's, it's, it's horrid. And God delivered us from all of that. He provided a way out of all of that. In Deuteronomy 28, it said, the curse of the law is laid out. Sickness, poverty, spiritual death, and it went on and on and on. But in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, it says this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. But because keeping the law was impossible, God created what we call the atonement the atonement. In Leviticus 17, 11, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of life that makes atonement. From the time of Moses until the time of Jesus, they slaughtered all these animals 
as a type, a picture of what Christ was going to do for us. It was to atone or cover their sins. Didn't even forgive them, just covered them. But it went on for hundreds of years like that. But then we can look into the New Testament and we can look in lots of places. But in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 and 13. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not commit to do everything written in the book of the law. Verse 13 says, but Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And in Romans 3, verses 21 through 25, the first couple of verses talks about the righteousness of God that comes to us through Jesus Christ. But verse 25 is the verse I want to just focus on here, and it says, But God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He, demonstrated, he did this to demonstrate his justice. And if you just take all of those verses that I just kind of flew right through, when sin came into the world, the curse came upon mankind and all of creation. All of creation began to suffer because of the consequences of the curse. God gave Moses a law and said, if you live this way, this is what it takes to be holy and righteous, knowing full well it was totally impossible. And because of that impossibility, he gave to the Jewish people what we call the Day of Atonement. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, they slaughtered all these animals to atone for their sins. But it was all really just a picture of what Christ was going to do when he came to earth. He literally became a curse for us. He became the curse for us. He took all the punishment that sin deserved on him for us. He took all of our sin. He literally became a curse, it said. He took the wrath of God from heaven upon him on a cross so that the curse would be broken and removed from those who believed in the blood by faith. That should be all of us that know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. So that curse was broken by Christ. It redeemed us from the curse of the law. And it's awesome, and we talk about it a lot, but usually what we limit ourselves to talking about way too often is salvation. Now, everybody understands, right, salvation's pretty cool, right? It's the greatest miracle that we can possibly imagine. Spiritually dead human beings becoming born again by the Spirit of God, and then he lives in us. Try to figure that out. And he lives in us. What a miracle. But one of my favorite psalms is Psalms 103. And I usually touch on this at every healing service to remind myself and to remind anybody that's there and to encourage anybody that's there that Psalms 103 says this, starting in verse 2. And boy, I'd encourage you. If you need to be encouraged, read Psalm 103 all the way through. But starting in verse 2, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and... Forget not all his benefits. I mean, salvation's awesome. You know, who needs more, right? We must, because God gave us more than that. He says, forget not all of the benefits that there are for us. And then he goes on, and he lays some of them out for us. Who forgives all your sins. Amen. We know that's there. Thank God that's there. And heals all your diseases. Really? That's there. Right alongside forgiveness of sin. Who redeems your life from the pit. Crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desire with good things. 
so that your youth is renewed like an eagle. Man, forget not all his benefits. How often do you think about all his benefits? We sometimes think about our blessings, and it's crazy because we stay materialistic way too often. When we think of the spiritual benefits, we get rejoice in our salvation, that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die on our behalf. Unbelievable. But that's not all of the package. He heals all our diseases. And by now, if, if you haven't read through this before in your own mind, you're starting to come with great questions. Yeah, buts. Come on, Mike. Really? Yeah, but let me give you some examples of that would fit the Yabat scenario. We've all got them. I've got them. I've asked those questions. Isaiah prophesied about 700 years before Jesus that Jesus was going to come and do something amazing for us. And you can't really talk about this unless you go to Isaiah 53. And one of the things that I really love about this is the way theologians have argued about Isaiah 53 forever. Now, I am not a learned Greek or Hebrew-English expert at all. But I do know how to use a lexicon. And you can all do the same thing. But if you do a word study on Isaiah 53 where it talks about, well, let's read it. And I'm reading it from Young's Living Translation. He is despised and left of men, a man of pains and acquainted with sickness. Check out the words in the original language. And as one hiding the, his face from us, he is despised and we esteemed him not. Surely our sickness he has borne, and our pains he has carried them. And we, we have esteemed him plague, smitten of God and afflicted. And he, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace is on him, and by his bruising there is healing to us. Depending on your translation, it might say, by his scourging or by his stripes. You know, one of the things that always amazes me about reading the scripture and about God is how nothing, nothing happens by accident and nothing happens just because. God's got a plan. He's got a purpose for everything. And when you look at Jesus, the whole, the whole, well, we would just, the whole crucifixion thing, Everything from entering into Jerusalem, the details, everything had a purpose, you know, fulfilling prophecy, whatever the purpose was, every detail, the, the crown of thorns had a purpose, the robe, the purple robe had a purpose, everything had a purpose. He was nailed to a cross, he had to die for our salvation, right? He had to die, it was his death and his resurrection that guaranteed our salvation. But what about his stripes? Did you know that Jesus did not have to be beaten with a whip for you and I to get saved? He had to die on a cross. But by his stripes, we are healed. It was significant that he was beaten and whipped and abused, bruised. By his stripes, we are healed. Now, if we're going to really work and fulfilling the Great Commission, praying for people, I believe, for me personally, I believe, I've got to believe that the Word of God tells me what I'm supposed to do and that God will take care of it. So, you know, I've heard all the arguments and discussions about Isaiah 53 and how you're supposed to interpret it. 
So why do I think it's all of, not all, because I think it's both. It talks about salvation, it talks about forgiveness of sin, but I believe it talks about healing. And I always think one of the best ways to interpret Scripture to figure out what it really says is to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. So I look to 1 Peter 2, verse 24, where it says this about Jesus. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And now I will face the people that say, well, you know, it's talking about sins and righteousness and wounds we've been healed. It obviously means spiritual healing. And I say, well, that's not very obvious to me. But I sometimes think they have to jump through so many hoops to prove that it's only about spiritual healing. And if i got to jump through that many hoops, I wonder if I'm jumping through the right hoops. So, what do I do with that? Word for wounds there is molopes, and it means to wound, bruise, and a wound that trickles with blood. That sounds like somebody who's been hurt physically to me. I believe Peter is paraphrasing Isaiah 53. But he does talk about Jesus purchasing our salvation and the healing in the atonement. The word for healed there in the Greek is iaomahi, which refers to physical healing over 20 times in the gospel. It's transferred and the context is about physical healing. However, there are some spots where it looks like it's talking about spiritual healing, so the argument could go on. But that's when I look to Matthew chapter 8, and then in my mind the debate is over with. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, Jesus has just healed Peter's mom. And then it says this, When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all of the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmity, picked up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Now, I'm a pretty simple-minded farm boy, but that seems pretty clear to me. He healed the sick. He cast out demons to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 53. He and Peter were both, in my mind, talking from Isaiah 53. So in my mind, it clears it up that in the atonement was salvation, the forgiveness of sins, healing of sicknesses and diseases. And more benefits, more benefits. Psalms 103. But when I talk to Christians, and I'm sure you've experienced this, if somebody gives the question or asks the question, do you believe God heals? They'll probably say yes. And then you might ask the question, you mean you think he heals today? And they probably say, well, yeah. And you can hear the doubt just rising up in them. But if you ask them, do you believe God's will is to heal? Do you believe God wants to heal? They might even say yes, but they're not sure it's for you or for me. And that's because this thinking that we've got that's been so corrupted by what we may have experienced before or previous teaching before, and they just, boy, that's a, you know, that's a tiny limb I'm getting out on when I say 
I believe it's God's will to heal. So let me ask you this question. Do you believe that God's will always is accomplished? This is a setup, by the way, just so you don't say it too loud. <laughs> used to be before we got this heretic at the pulpit Second <laughs> uh, <laughs> Peter 3 verse 9 because the obvious thing to be thinking somewhere in his message so far is I've seen people prayed for that didn't get healed I've prayed for people that didn't get healed I've been sick, or I have this disease, and it hasn't been healed, and I've been prayed for. Why doesn't God heal? If it's his will to heal, why doesn't he do it? And I have a very profound answer for you today. I don't know. I care, but I don't know. But I do not believe that his will is always accomplished, especially in the way that we think it will be according to our calendar. You know, we need to realize something, and I should have probably prefaced everything with this, because we need to understand that one day we will be healed of everything. Amen? But I hate it when we use that as an excuse. That's not what we should do. You know what? All healing in this life is temporary. We need to remember that. It's all temporary. I mean, we could be healed of the most serious disease, and unless Jesus comes back, we're going to die. So this idea that, you know, we we're, we're all have to walk in divine health and all of this, uh, boy, bad stuff. Destroys lots of faith. I don't know. But in, in uh, 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness. And the context here is about the coming day of the Lord, but I think it makes application way beyond just that. It says this, He's not uh, slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Is it God's will that all should be saved? It would seem so. Are all people saved? Uh, No. How come? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how God got a hold of my heart. I know I didn't deserve it, and I know I was a mess. I know I wasn't looking for him to transform me. In fact, I thought I was all it. Like some of us, right? Most of us. But he did. I don't understand it. One of the things that we have had to really focus on is understanding one of the favorite scriptures of mine. It's my bailout scripture is Deuteronomy 29, 29. Anybody know that one? Oh, boy. I love this one. You want to write this one down. The secret, let me, let me quote it so I get it right. I don't know if I put it up there. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of his law. The secret things of God, they belong to him. How many of you know we don't see fully yet? We don't understand fully yet. But one day we will. We, one day we will see like he sees. We will get it. We will understand. So what does that mean? It means... We need to not allow ourselves to focus on things that don't happen the way we think they should happen. We need to focus on what God has revealed to us. We need to focus on what he has told us clearly in his word. 
If we focus on this, keep our eyes on this, walk according to this, all I know is that I'm supposed to pray for the sick, and he says they'll be healed. I, I've got to admit that there's been a few people that I prayed for that haven't been healed, like a lot. You know, in the midst of our healing services, in the midst of seeing miracles like Lori experienced, one day I'm sitting in my office and one of my elders that I've known since we were about eight years old, lifelong buddies, a brother in the Lord, one I look to a lot to bring balance to my biases. He and his wife walked in and sat down in front of the, my desk and as calmly as could be, he says, we just came from the doctor. And I go, really? I didn't know you were sick. I knew he'd had stomach issues for a long time. They just couldn't figure out what it was. Well, they figured it out. He had stage four pancreatic cancer. And he says to me, Mike, the Lord has commuted my sentence. I wasn't, you know, like I say, sometimes it doesn't work up here, right? I just figured commuted means, all right, it's gone. Commutation is not the same as a pardon. I discovered that later. We prayed, and we fasted, and we believed, and we prayed, and we fasted, and we believed. We looked at the scriptures. We quoted the scriptures. We did everything we knew how to do. And he died. What do you do with that? Well, and it's not as an excuse, but he's healed. He's rejoicing before the throne of God, like we all want to. But it sure wasn't what I wanted. And boy, oh boy, it threw some of us into a little bit of a tailspin. Because we got our eyes off of what the Word of God tells us and what has been revealed to us and the truths of the Word of God and the Great Commission. And we got our eyes on the circumstance and we interpreted the, the circumstance in the way that fit our natural mind and logic. And what do we do? Well, it hurts. still hurts. But we said, we're going to press on with what we know. This is what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, lay hands on the sick, they'll be healed. We're to pray for the sick to be healed. It's part of the Great Commission. Just because somebody doesn't get saved, are we going to go out and quit evangelizing? Which is worse? We wouldn't let that stop us, I hope. And that's way more critical for eternity. We press on. I believe we need to learn to live with the unexplainable. I think it's a critical aspect of becoming a Christian who can live out the life and the calling that God has for us. I was a biology, chemistry teacher in my previous life. I liked it black and white. It needed to fit in my box. Boy, that makes you a miserable, miserable person when things don't fit in your box. Learning to live with the unexplainable, we need to give up our right to understand. And I'm not sure the application is totally accurate, but you know, my congregation is used to that. But the scripture says, there is a peace that passes all understanding. And if I do not give up my right to understand, am I ever going to experience that peace 
that passes all understanding. Because there's lots of things that happen that I don't understand. My brother Glenn died. I don't understand. His wife doesn't understand. The kids don't understand. Boy, oh boy. We need to give up our right to understand everything. Does that mean you can't question God? No. It does not mean you can't question. I've been asking God questions about Glenn for a long time, ever since he passed away, went home to be with the Lord. But if we don't give up our right to understand, I believe there's a snare of the enemy called the snare of disappointment. And we can get caught in that snare of disappointment and it will cripple us and it will paralyze us when it comes to doing the things that God has called us to do. And if we're not willing to give up our right to understand, we're going to get caught in that snare. And some have gotten so waylaid. I mean, they may have even seen miracles take place before. But they got so caught in that snare that they just quit. And it wasn't that they were questioning God that was wrong. It was their questioning of God that led them away from God and his word and into this land of human reasoning. And boy, do we go there easily. I go there easily. As soon as I start asking God questions and it's supposed to line up with my human reasoning, I'm in trouble because it's leading me away from him and away from his word and away from the truth. That disappointment can become a huge giant in our Christian life. I believe part of our destiny as Christians is to be able to walk out the Great Commission, to share the Lord with people and see them accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, to, to cast out demons in his name, to lay hands on the sick. I believe that some of you have maybe experienced that I haven't yet, I hope I do, lay hands on somebody who's dead and watch them come back to life. We're called to do those things. I believe it's our destiny unless we get caught in that snare of disappointment. I'm going to kind of throw out three scriptures and just kind of try to make them, mesh them, blend them together to help us or help you and me grasp our ability to do what God calls us to do. First one's in Matthew 28. This is Jesus speaking. And starting in verse 18, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the, reign of the age. Notice the therefore. All authority in heaven has been given to Jesus. Therefore, we can go. Wait a minute. Just because he's got authority, what makes me think I can go? He promises to be with me always. That's good. Where? How far behind me are you? Well, let's look at verse 16, chapter 8 of Romans, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Who is he? He has been given all authority from the Father. Therefore, we can go do these things that he's called us to do in fulfilling the Great Commission. How can I have confidence in that? Because I am a child of God, and part of that package is I am a joint heir with Christ. 
Now, it's nice being an heir, but it's really nice when I'm a joint heir with Christ. We could be heirs of the Father. That means I got something, Jesus got something. You got something, Jesus got something. But if we're joint heirs, what Jesus gets, I get. What I have, it's because of him. I am a child of God. Because of that, I'm a joint heir. And what that means is the authority that God the Father gave to Jesus is available to us as believers. Not because of anything in me except for the Holy Spirit and the power in the name of Jesus. And then in verse uh, Mark chapter 16, when I come finally to the Great Commission here, and he says to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes is and baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name, in the authority of my name, the authority of who I am and what I have done. In that authority that is in my name, because you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ, you will be able to do these things. You will be able to do these things and go into the world. These signs will follow. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. And I just simply think that means he's going to protect us when we're doing what he's called us to do. Don't get crazy with snakes and poison. But then it says, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. For, I, for me, personally, I look at the word and say, okay, God, what can we do and how come I'm able to do that? And I look at those things right there, just those three verses, and I bring them together and I say, Jesus tells us he's got all the authority in heaven and earth that's been given to him by the Father. And then he tells me that we are joint heirs as children of God with Jesus Christ. And then he says, go in the authority of my name, who I am and what I've done, and I'm going to operate through you by the Holy Spirit to go out into all the world. Have you ever noticed if you're sharing the gospel with somebody, it's better if the Holy Spirit's involved? Doesn't work that good without it. We, we think, we separate, we put the salvation and evangelism thing over here that we go, ah, I can do that if I get over my fear of man. But we put in something like healing and casting out demons over here like, oh boy, that's for somebody else but not me. No, it's for all of us. It's for all of you. We're all called to do those things. Called to fulfill the Great Commission. God, what do you do when the clock says zero, 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 zero? You see the anointing just leave? <laughs> wow. Seriously, I am at the end of my message. <clears throat> and I do hope that you're encouraged. And I believe that we are called to do this. You know, we had a, a lady who does not go to our church. Um, there's a whole lot of reasons why in the natural God wouldn't heal this lady. She had surgery on her arm and wrist and something happened in the surgery that the wrist joint was just frozen. And she could hardly move her fingers. She'd come to Bible study, and she's in a Bible study with my mother. And when she'd do anything, she'd always pick up her arm, pick up her hand, sit there in the chair holding it up. She came forward at our last healing service and was prayed for. And all of a sudden, she starts doing this. And she's just grinning from ear to ear. And she takes her arm and she starts doing this. And the wrist is completely, completely healed. Why? Because God wanted to heal her. He had compassion on her. Does that mean if you don't get healed, he doesn't love you and doesn't have compassion on you? No. Don't jump to those human reasonings. 
I would just say, we're going to keep pressing in. And we're going to keep pressing in and pressing in and pressing in. Why? Because I believe it's in the Bible. And it's fun. <laughs> but it's in the Bible. And that's the most important thing. So I would love to, to pray with any of you that would like us to pray for you. You know, one of the things, and I, so many things are subjective in our healing service because I, I've never seen anything like it in the last year and a half, two years, the oppression. The, the depression, the oppression. It's unbelievable. And we see so many people coming, and they're just hopeless. You know, when you pray with them and they say they feel better, I, I, praise God. But we don't know. I don't know. You know, I have a pain here. Is it gone now? Oh, yeah. Was it there before? No, not really. I mean, you run into these things. What are you supposed to do? <laughs> you caught that. <laughs> what are you supposed to do with those things? Believe what the Bible says and continue to press on. So, we'd love to pray with some of you, and I think somebody's going to come and play some music here, maybe. And uh, so, I'm going to close in prayer, and if anybody here who would like us to pray with you for healing, I would encourage you to just feel free to come forward, and we will pray with you. Father, I thank you and praise you for your goodness. God, that your love for us is everlasting. God, I thank you that you are a God that is moved by your compassion. And God, because of your love for us, as your children, you have compassion upon us. Lord, I pray that you would be moved by your compassion this morning here in our midst. Father, I believe that your word is very clear that we pray for the, to pray for the sick and they will be healed. Father, whether it is spiritual healing, emotional healing, physical healing, God, I thank you that your arm is never shortened and that you are able. So, Lord, I praise you and thank you. I pray for you to bless this church as they pursue this ministry of healing. God, I pray that you would help them to always keep them eyes on the, their eyes on the healer and never on the circumstance. Father, I thank you this is not about a person or any one person. God, it's about the body of Christ. And I pray you just build up faith in this body here. God, that there would be signs and wonders and miracles that would go out and be a testimony and a witness to the community and the whole surrounding metro area. God, that these are a people that love people because you love people. That these are a people that are moved by compassion because you're a God of compassion. And these are a people of the word who will act on the word and do what your word says because our confidence is in you. So I thank you and give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. If you'd like prayer, just encourage you not to hesitate and come forward.